morning, Dawson family. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I just want to say thank you again for how you give to missions through the cooperative program, the Annie Armstrong offering, the Lottie Moon offering uh, for international missions. You're a very generous uh, church, and I just want to say thank you on behalf of thousands and thousands of missionaries literally all over the world. Uh, today we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, if you'd like to be turning there. As you do that, though, I would like to introduce my family just real fast. Uh, so you kind of know my context, where I'm coming from. I'll throw a picture up. They weren't able to come, uh, but I, I brought a picture. And it's my wife of over 31 years uh, to uh, the right of me there, Lynette. And we have six children, two son-in-laws. We'll just ignore them. But there's daughters on uh, each end. And I have my oldest son in the top middle there. It goes to California Baptist University in Los Angeles. And then God blessed us with uh, three additional children from uh, three different countries. The very first child we adopted was Libby. In the front left, uh, we adopted her when she's one, and she's now 15. And then we adopted Michael Lynn on the far right, uh, in the front. We adopted her when she was three uh, from Ethiopia, and she's now 12. And uh, if you ever, uh, she's, she's pretty funny. She normally has her hand on her hip because that's where she likes it. She's a, a, a very uh, bossy. And if you ever watch Sanford and Son, you ever watch that show? Well, we adopted Aunt Esther, all right? She's just real, uh, she'll tell you what for. She's, a, she's hilarious. But she's a sweetheart. And then J.M., right above my wife there, is J.M., John Michael. He goes by J.M. He's from the Philippines. And we adopted J.M. when he was 12. And he's now, this past week, just turned 18. And so we're so thankful for them. It's, it's real funny. When people see our family or we walk in a restaurant, they really never know what to do with us. It's like, how did that happen? And, uh, or they'll go, bless your heart. And I said, no, there's no need to bless my heart. I'm just very competitive. And uh, no, what I mean is, I mean, we have six kids from four different countries. When we watch the Olympics, we win. All right? <laughs> we do. But it's interesting, when I went to pick up J.M. in Manila, they were, they, J.M. was wandering the streets around, he was around five years old, finding plastic bottles, and, and they found J.M. and took him to the orphanage, and he stayed there until he was uh, right at 11, almost 12. And um, uh, they, they, they told me, look, there's some things you need to know about him because uh, he's not used to some of the same luxuries that you're used to. And I said, luxuries like what? What are you talking about? And, and he said, well, like hot water. He said, we don't have hot water here at the orphanage. They do have hot water in Manila, but not in the orphanage. And he said, uh, he's not used to it, so just be careful or he'll harm himself. Just make sure he understands how to use the hot water. So the very first night we go to the hotel, you can imagine your first night in a hotel. You've been in an orphanage for seven years. He's bound, I'm letting him bounce on the bed and, and, uh, and, and do all those fun things, you know, you do in a hotel. And it came time for bath time, so I take him into the bathroom, and I turn on the water lukewarm, and then uh, I take his hand and put it under the water, and then I just gradually, gradually turn the water warmer and warmer and warmer until he begins to feel hot water for the very first time. And can you imagine that? I'll never forget the look in those big brown Filipino eyes as he felt hot water for the very first time, and he said, that is wonderful. 
I said, it is wonderful. You're going to love it. Now, here, you, you, uh, I'm going to go in there. You take off your clothes and hop in the shower. And I wasn't thinking they taught him English, but some things just don't translate when you don't have a shower. And so uh, he didn't know what a shower was. So I had to explain a shower. Have you ever tried to describe a shower to someone? That's not that easy. And so I said, look, son, it's like water from heaven. All right? You're going to love it. Trust me. It's just some things you just don't think about. Like the first time we went out to eat. The first time I took him out to eat, I ordered for him. I said, just bring him some chicken fingers. <laughs> He's like, no! I not eat chicken fingers. And I said, well, no, 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 son, they're not chicken fingers. That's just what they call them. He goes, well, why did they call them that? And I was like, I don't really even know, all right? Just dip them in barbecue sauce. It's going to be fine. You know, it's like, you know, the first time we had buffalo wings. I mean, you can imagine the explanation that goes in. We have international conflict at our home every night. But it made me think of something, though, when I thought in such a sweet, innocent 12-year-old at the time, how he was so excited about hot water. He came out of the shower 45 minutes later, loving life. I thought how spoiled we are um, because we take so many things for granted. We are spoiled. You are spoiled. Would you not agree? Of course you, you should. I'm right, all right? You're spoiled. You're sitting on padded pews in a very controlled environment here with incredible music. and I mean, it's, you're, not, you're not under threat of anyone arresting you for being here. We're spoiled. You're not thinking about if you're going to eat for lunch. You're just trying to think of what you're about to have, all right? It's, we're, we're incredibly blessed. And uh, that's why it reminds us that we need to be grateful for everything that we have. But the same thing is true when it comes to churches. I'm at the North American Mission Board, and we come alongside churches like yours and help plant churches like you're doing uh, today, but also like you're doing in Maine, all right? You've been doing that for years, and we're so grateful for the partnership to come alongside you and help do that. We, our goal every year is to plant 1,200 churches a year. That's 100 a month. That's every time you come to worship, about 20 or 25, every day, every Sunday, we're planning those across North America, from Maine to New Mexico, from California to Florida. And so I just want to say thank you for that. But people often say, well, why do we need to do that? Aren't there enough churches? Well, it's because you need to remember, here is not like there. Sometimes we just think it's like it is here everywhere. And it's just not the case. Let me show you what I mean. In Mississippi, it's the most church state in all of North America. There's one church for every 1,392 people. Now, missiologists say that you need one church for at least every 2,000 people. He said, well, what's it like in Alabama? It's one for every 1,466. We wish every state was like Alabama. Um, there's still pockets where there's incredible need for churches. Thus, the reason you're planning one in the Fulton area. But then what is it like in other areas, say like New York? In New York, it's one for every 58,000. In New Jersey, it's one for every 64,000. In Canada, it's one for every 103,000. You can drive three hours in Canada and not drive by another evangelical church. So it's an incredible, incredible need. But so often when we think of that, we forget that there are needs right where we are. And that's what I want you to see today in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, and uh, we're going to see a story perhaps you've heard before, but the most important thing I want you to see and I want you to leave here today is, look, we're talking about missions today. We're talking about go, love, and tell. 
We talk about here and there. But when we talk about missions, we're not talking about people in another, another country somewhere or another state. Today, I want you to see it applies to you. God has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for you, to you, for you to be intentional and missional as you think. It doesn't matter if you're a pharmacist, if you're a school teacher, a lawyer, work at a factory. God has a plan, a mission for you. And every day you breathe, you're to be on mission. God placed you here to do more than draw a breath and draw a salary. He placed you here to be very intentional. There's a purpose. Now, in Mark chapter 2, I love this story. I'm going to read through it pretty fast. But what you're going to see is Mark stays at 30,000 feet. That's just how he rolls, all right? He's not a detailed guy. He stays in generality. My wife gets so frustrated because I'm somewhat the same way. I'm convinced Mark has an attention disorder uh, because, again, I do too. He stays at very general. My wife, uh, she'll say, hey, did so-and-so have their baby? And I'll say, uh, yeah, they had their baby. She said, boy or girl? And I'm like, they had a baby, all right? I, I just don't know the details. And that's how Mark is in this story. He tells us he flies at 30,000 feet, but there's a lot of other things going on. And I want us to look, and uh, we'll, you'll see what I mean as we read through it. It says in verse 1, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, he being Jesus. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Basically, he's saying it was jam-packed, overflow was overflowing, no more room, and, and he's preaching the word to them. And at the same time came, bringing to him a paralytic by four men. And when they, ha- they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, he knew what they were thinking, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? What he's saying is, hey, look, look, I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. That's forever. I can heal a guy. That's temporary. But you need to understand what it represents. And so that's where we see the next verse. He says, but that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they they were all amazed and they glorified God saying, help me say this last part. You ready? We never saw anything like this. Hey, that's great. That's great. We never saw anything like this. I'm, I'm a Kentucky fan. We say that after every touchdown. We never or rarely see anything like this before. We've never. Can you imagine leaving saying we've never seen anything like this before? Now, I want us to to look at this because these four men are very critical. These four men saw a need. They loved someone so much. They saw a need and they were willing to be inconvenienced. To go out of their way to make certain they did everything possible to get him to Jesus. Sometimes we want to live in our comfortable cocoon. Where it's very convenient and very comfortable. 
But God has called us to be on mission, and that means often to be uncomfortable and inconvenienced. Now, we pick up the story. He says that here comes four men carrying um, a paralytic. But, hey, something had to happen before that. So back, 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 back. Let's go back to the very first part of that. Somewhere on the other side of town, there's a guy, a couple of guys standing around. They say, hey, listen. Hey, man, do you know I hear Jesus is going to be, be, be around? Really? When's he going to come? And they begin to talk. You know what? You know our friend, and I'm sure they probably called his name because they do details. Mark just doesn't. And he's, they called the friend's name. He said, you know, our friend, the paralytic. You know, I've heard what Jesus has done in other towns. If, if we could get our friend to Jesus, I believe Jesus could heal him. Jesus could change his life. What do you guys say? Oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. All right, let's meet at a certain time. They, they picked up a time, a place, and we'll go by, pick him up, and take him there. That's what they did. They met at a certain time. They had to, went to the, picked him up, and now they enter the story. Here comes Mark says, here comes the paralytic carried by four men. That's the rest of the story, okay? So here they come. They get there, and then what happens? It's packed. The place is jam-packed. Overflow is overflowing. They can't, they can't find a seat. And they're saying, hey, man, I know some of those people. They're not giving up their seat. So what do we do? Mark says, I, I get a kick out of this. Again, Mark does uh, 30,000 feet. He says, well, so they go to the roof. They dig a hole in the roof. They lower him down to where Jesus is, and Jesus heals him. <laughs> Mark acts like this happens every Sunday, you know? Like song, song, dig hole in roof, sermon. I mean, no, no, no. This is a little bit unique, Mark. So let's take our time. So what do you think happened? Well, they couldn't get in, so I'm sure they had a little huddle. They had to have had a huddle and come up with a plan B. Fellas, what are we going to do? My word, look at the places jam-packed. We weren't counting on this. You know what? They tell us, psychologists tell us that one out of every four people tend to be negative. Would you agree? Okay, well, just don't point, okay? That's embarrassing. One out of four tend to be negative. So I'm sure one out of the four of these guys was kind of like an Eeyore type, you know? Like, I knew this wasn't a good idea. You know, we should have come to the early service. You know what I mean? You can imagine some of the negative vibes going on. And, and, but, but all we know is we don't know which one, but we do know at least one of those guys says, hey, fellas, wait, 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 wait. I got an idea. It's going to sound crazy, but hang with me. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take him, and we're going to put him on the roof. I can't help but think that the paralytic at that moment is like, do what? <laughs> you know, settle down. It's going to be all right. Here's what, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take you and put you on the roof. Then we're going to kind of guess of where we think Jesus is. And then we're going to dig a hole in the roof, a big hole. And then we're going to lower him down to Jesus and boom, he'll heal it. What do you think? I'm sure one of the guys probably said, but we've never done it that way before. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's not a problem. So that's exactly what they do. Mark says they go up there, they dig a hole. Now, can you imagine if next Sunday... And right in the middle of the service, just right before, right there in the middle of the sermon, just before some of you nod off. It was supposed to be a joke. Some dust begins to fall, and some more dust begins to fall. And all of a sudden, a hand were to come through that roof and peel back, and then another hand, another, and somebody digs a hole, and then all of a sudden, four heads are looking down. Can you imagine if that's happening? I'm watching it, all right? I don't care who's up here, I'm watching. 
that. You know what I love about this story? Jesus heals the guy, and you notice what he said. Mark makes it very clear. Jesus, seeing their faith, healed the guy. He saw the four men's faith and decided to heal him. And said, look, this illustrates what I can do for you, eternal life, by forgiving sins. That's which is much more important. You know what I love about these guys? We don't know their names, but it's really not important. It's all about the theme and the heartbeat and the passion of their heart. You know what that is? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. All the way from the very beginning when they said, look, they saw a need and they decided to meet a need. To be inconvenienced, we're going to take our friend and get him to Jesus. They got there. They didn't give up because they had a little roadblock of no room. No, no, no. We're going to figure out a way to get it done. We're going to do whatever it takes to make this happen. Man, I love that. When people see a need and meet a need. That's what God wants us to do is to love people like he loves them. You remember, remember what it says in, in Mark, Mark 12 when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Remember, he's asked one question, but he responded and answered it with two answers. He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your brother as yourself. And what he was saying is, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But how I know you do that is by how you love others. If you love them, then I know you love me. That's, it's an action word. You're actually doing it, not just saying it. I mean, so often we say we love people. We're not willing to be inconvenienced by them. Hey, we, we really want to see God to reach people, but not enough to really be uncomfortable or to do without, or to sacrifice. I was in Cuba not long ago, and interesting thing about Cuba, that was while Castro was still living, I wasn't there to see him, but uh, I was there to see some of our churches. And I say our churches because there was a lady by the name of Annie Armstrong years ago that went to Cuba and would buy up the different properties there. And, and the majority of the Baptist churches in Cuba, there's hundreds of them, um, their deeds to their buildings are at the vault of the North American Mission Board. We're located in Atlanta, Georgia. And the reason for that is the, the pastors were afraid that Castro would take the deed away from them, but he would not take them away from the North American Mission Board. There's also a seminary in Cuba. You may not know that, but you own that. You own that um, because the deed to that seminary is in our vault. It was interesting when I talked to the pastor, I said, well, tell me how I can tell people to pray for you. He goes, oh, it's amazing what has happened. God has started a church planning movement in Cuba. Thousands of churches, and he's right, God has done a miracle there. Just thousands of churches all over Cuba. Churches planting churches planting churches. I said, well, tell me how it happened. And I'll never forget his tears filled up in his eyes. He says, it's amazing. He said, to Castro, during the revolution, came out and said, no more churches, no more. You can't build any more churches. But you can meet in your homes. They would fill the churches to capacity and, and eventually people just, they poured into their homes. They would just jam people into these small homes until finally he came out and says, all right, no more. No more than 50. Once you get to 50, you must go to another house. And have another Bible study. 
They're like, are you serious? And he, what his thought was, I'll spread these people out. I'll dilute them, and then they'll just fade away. That didn't happen. The more they spread out, the more they multiplied, the more they multiplied. And so he came out with another edict and said, all right, no more than 25. No more than 25. When they get to 25, you have to go somewhere else. He was playing right into God's hand. And what was so beautiful is this Cuban pastor was weeping, saying, God has started a church planning movement in Cuba, and he used a communist leader to do it. That's an incredible story about the God has no limitations. The same God here is the same God there. No limitations at all. I often joke. I say, look, if God ever allows me to pastor again, I said this when Castro was living. I said, if, if God ever allows me to pastor again, I'm going to see if I can't get Castro to be my minister of education. Because <laughs> it would take a communist leader to get some Sunday school classes to multiply. You know what I mean? <laughs> What I want you to see is, we're to be intentional. God placed you here for a purpose. Listen, this is not a spectator sport. It's not. Missions is not something you come and celebrate and uh, just celebrate. Missionaries going all over the world and playing churches in places like Maine. I want you to do that and celebrate that, but it doesn't stop there. It's every one of us putting our hands to the plow and looking for needs and meeting needs. And so often we walk right by them. We work right by them. We go to school right by needs. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 25. He said, uh, hey, I'm going to separate those who know me and those who do not know me. I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats here. Um, now sheep I want you to come over here and he put them over there and he says you know when I was hungry you fed me when I was thirsty you gave me something to drink when I was sick you visited me welcome to the kingdom of God they're like we don't remember doing that to you when did we feed you and when did we give you something to drink? He said, Look, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. When you love them, you love me. Then he turned to the ones who did not know him and said, Look, I asked for something to drink. You did not give me something to drink. I was naked and you did not clothe me. Hungry, you did not feed me. And we don't remember not doing that. No, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Again, we are saved and become a believer only by the grace of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But as the book of James will remind you real quick, is once you know Christ in a personal way, it's to be a part of being action, to love people, to go love and tell, here and there. Listen. You go through this series, just remind yourself, it's not about other people doing that. We're not here. God has not called us to do missions by proxy. He's called us to look for ways to meet needs. And I'm telling you, 
you live by needs that can be met. God has called you for a purpose, to be on mission. Do whatever it takes. I want us to bow our heads. As we bow our heads, there's an evangelist years ago that was asked, how do you start revival? He said, oh, it's real simple. You get a piece of chalk. And you go into a room all by yourself. And you draw a circle on the floor. And then you get down on your knees in that circle. And pray that God would start a revival in that circle. He's simply saying is, look, it starts with you. You can talk about something happening in America or happening in your city or in your church. But honestly, it just takes where we have all got to draw our circles, get on our knees and say, God, do something unique in me. Help me see needs. Help me meet needs. Help me love you as never before. And help me understand that when I love others, I'm loving you. That's what you've called me to do. If you're here today and you do not know Christ in a personal way, that's why we do all of this. That you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you need a church home, you're a believer in and you feel like that perhaps God is leading you to this place at this time. We want to invite you to come. We're going to have ministers and counselors here that would love to pray with you about whatever need that might be in your heart. It's just so important to be obedient and faithful to him. Father, thank you for how you love us, how you care for us, and how you have called us to be a part of what you do, to be on mission. Lord, help us to be people that will do whatever it takes. In Jesus' name, amen.